I don't know if you've ever done this, but I love to, once in a while, I love to just kind of wed together a bunch of scriptures that kind of that kind of have a certain theme, and uh, I want to just share a few and maybe just have you uh, just kind of maybe listen. If, if you want to close your eyes or just listen and just uh, think about what all of these texts have in common, I guess, and it's just interesting you you begin to put together some of this, and it's... it's uh, it's just kind of breathtaking, I think, sometimes when you, when you think about it. And, and I start in the book of Isaiah. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they, crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah also says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Math, come and come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, or who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Come, he said, then he said, then Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. From Isaiah all the way to the end of the, uh, the pages of uh, the book of Revelation, we hear that invitation, I think, from Jesus to, to come. It's, it's really, it's an invitation that is really inviting us into his presence to, to experience him, to know him, to come to see him for who he really is. And he just simply says, Throughout those pages, come. I, I think maybe the most terrifying, yet at the same time the most exciting, maybe even life-changing words that we can ever hear from God the Father are those words, come. Come and see. Uh, last week we talked, or we started with, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and, and uh, there, it was there we, we heard, uh, it was humanity's cry for God to come to us, and this week we're going to kind of turn that around a little bit, and we're we're now looking at uh, um, "O Come All Ye Faithful." We sang that one of our first songs that we sang is "O Come All Ye Faithful," and it's Jesus' cry from a man manger in Bethlehem for us to come and to behold Him. Uh, Seven hundred years before there were uh, decrees that the entire empire should be taxed. It was before a star blazed across the across the sky. Uh, before a virgin conceived, before angels sang, before a cry went up from a manger in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah pro proclaimed the coming of the king. And he said the nations will come and kings will bow before him. Isaiah gave this save-the-date invitation for the coming of the king, an invitation that was given to come into his presence. You know, when I think about invitations, I don't know what you think about, I think about Oftentimes, well, probably most of us do, but the pieces of paper that we received 
or the cards that we get in the mail that invite us to events like weddings and, and parties and birthdays. But you, you think about that, there's a lot of a, there's, there's another kind of an invitation. Invitations that invite us into deeper relationships or that invite us to life-changing events. And I think that that's what's at the heart of every Hallmark movie where the guy gets down on one knee, right? And invites his special someone to the, be a part of his life from that day forward. And, you know, they're all predictable. <laughs> Sappy, all that. You watch them and it's just kind of always at the end. It's that, will you marry me? It's that invitation and the response is, yes. I accept your invitation. I will marry you. And there's this expectation that that invitation then is going to change their lives forever. And every Hallmark movie just cuts off. You don't see it. It just cuts off right there as soon as you hear the yes. But there's that expectation, right? And I, th I really think that, that's at its, uh, that at its core, the message of Christmas is this invitation to really come into the presence of God, to presence of God to see who Jesus really is. It's this invitation to stand and behold Him, to greet Him, to adore Him. It's an invitation to His coming. You know, I think a lot of times in the church, we spend a lot of time inviting people to the cross. Um, and rightfully so, correct? Correct. Inviting people to that moment in time when Jesus paid a penalty on the cross for your sin and for mine, to that place where we find salvation, we find or we invite people to exchange their sin for His righteousness. We invite people to the foot of the cross where the Savior died. We, we say, come, come. And that is probably the most, the most important invitation that we could ever make. That's the place where history changed. It's the place where we make the defining decision of our lives. At the cross, at the cross. And yet I wonder sometimes if we lose the power of the cross because we haven't invited people to the cradle first. I wonder if we can really fully understand the death of the man Jesus on the cross until we understand the birth of the baby in the manger. Uh, we've, we've, we've got to be invited to that place where we understand the story of that baby so that we can better understand the story of the man. I mean, you've heard me say this a number of times, and I, I, I really got to thinking about this this week, but I've said it a number of times that it's impossible to understand the story of Christmas without viewing it through the eyes of the cross. Why did Jesus come? And, and I, don't, I don't want to, uh, to downplay the importance of the cross. I, I wouldn't do that. But I, I do want to elevate today, this morning, what happened at the manger. I want to bring to our attention the importance of coming and seeing Jesus Christ for who he really is. Because when we see Jesus, it changes everything. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we can't help but fall down and worship Him. That's the natural response that we ought to have. The miracle of Easter begins with the miracle of Christmas. The sacrifice of the man on the cross makes no sense with the ark, without the incarnation of the baby in the manger. And of course, incarnation. That's just a fancy way of saying that God became flesh. 
Uh, interesting, I was talking in Sunday school this morning and I said, um, used, it used to be that you'd have to explain this to kid as kids that they, they could not, when you say God in the flesh, they're like, what are you talking about? So you say, God put skin on. So this morning in, in Sunday school, I said to the kids, I said, uh, God, God put on skin. And he says, you mean he came in the flesh? <laughs> that's what, uh, I think it was Andrew or Alan that said that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So evidently, we've kind of gone around the other way, and they understand that. Uh, God, God, God became a human being. As, as We sang it in, O come all ye faithful. It's a, um, it proclaims, he is the word of the flower. Father now in flesh appearing in verse number four. So we'll get to the cross, but let's start at the manger. And, and I think that we have this idea that the Christmas story is just this nice start. It's this fun time of year. It's this fun moment in the church calendar when everything is peaceful because he was the Prince of Peace and he, became, and he came to bring peace. And so we have, kind of have these ideal scenes of nature and snow and carolers and mangers and shepherds and and they all look so clean and they're all huddled huddled around the manger. We sing about how the night was so silent, despite the fact that there were angels scaring people out of their wits. <laughs> Can you imagine? They had to say it, you know, don't be afraid. Or we sing away in a manger that has that little phrase about this baby that, that even when he wakes, no crying he makes. Hmm. I mean, what we have to understand is that the part of the miracle of the incarnation is that God was fully human and that God, the Redeemer, the Creator, the Sustainer of the universe became a fetus in the womb of a woman. He was born. He had a physical birth. He grew. He cried. He, he, he slept. He ate food. He, he experienced what we experienced. He was tempted just as we were tempted. And he was fully man. He was flesh and blood. The incarnation, God Almighty, come in the skin of his own creation. He was fully man. And because he was fully man, he was able to take our place because when he hung on that cross, he hung on that cross as a man and suffered and he died as a man and therefore could re represent us to God. Now, one of the issues that the early church had to address was this false idea that Jesus couldn't have possibly been a man. Because it was, if Jesus was holy, there just was no way that he could be like one of us. So he, well, they explained that away. He, he appeared to be a man. And so the Apostle Paul has to address this. In many of his letters, he makes it very clear that Jesus was, in fact, a man. And yet the miracle of the incarnation is that this baby in the manger who was born of this woman was also fully God. His birth was supernatural. Uh, later, in, later in life, he, he claimed to be God. Even the demons claimed that he was God. God declared him to be God. The miracle of Christmas is that when we see Jesus, we see one who is fully man and fully God. Fully man, fully God. 
this baby at Bethlehem was fully God and fully man. That, that, that really should leave us awestruck. That is, uh, th- it should leave us in a place of complete wonder at the mystery of Christmas. I want to invite you just to open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. We read these verses last week. We're going to return to them. But I really want to start there, and I want to begin to look at some of the cast of characters that we see in this Christmas story. And, and what I think that we're going to find is that these characters really lived in a, a real place of life. They had pressures. They had, they had chaos, and they had... In the midst of all their family and friends, there's tensions, there's temptations, and, well, not much different than what we experience today, right? Sounds a little familiar, maybe. But in Matthew chapter 1, we start with the story of Joseph. He is a man who lived a a very simple life in the town of Nazareth. It's a very conservative uh, town. It's a very religious place. Uh, But in Matthew chapter 1, Verse 18, here's what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what, she, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says, all this took place with, to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Seriously, right? This story uh, has become so familiar to us, but but do we ever stop and think about what's really happening here? Here's Joseph. He's living this very conservative, very, he's in this religious place, and, and we're told that he's a good man, and he learns that his bride-to-be, the, wife, the woman that he loves, this woman he invited to spend with, uh, life with him, has betrayed him. She shows up pregnant. He's embarrassed. He is ashamed. He is humiliated. So not only does he have to decide how to respond to this news personally, but he has to decide how to respond publicly. The law at that time gave him the right to publicly shame her, to humiliate her, even to put her to death. But Joseph was a good man. And he decided to send her away quietly and not bring any more shame upon her. But then he has this dream, and an angel shows up and quotes some prophet from 700 years before. And Joseph wakes up after that dream, and he says, that's just enough for him. And he takes Mary home into his, he takes Mary in, into his home. I mean, are you kidding me? Think about that. I mean, I'd have a few questions if I was Joseph. I'd kind of want a few things settled first. I'd want that angel, for starters, I'd want him to explain what really happened to everybody else in town. But Joseph doesn't do that. He does exactly what the angel tells him to do, and he takes Mary home as his wife, as though nothing was wrong, 
as if there were in, this were in fact his child and he raises Jesus as his own. Uh, we got to look at this through the lens of first century, not 21st century, right? Because today that wouldn't even be given a thought. Obviously, Joseph must have heard something in the angel's command that this child is Emmanuel, God with us, because when, you know, he saw Je Jesus differently. And when he saw Jesus for who he was, it, it just changed the course of his life. He was willing to risk everything, his reputation. He was willing to risk his relationships. He was willing to live in a way that went against the socially accepted norms because he saw something about Jesus. Now, meanwhile, Mary had her own experience. If you want to flip over to, to Luke chapter 1, uh, we read there about her story. Luke chapter 1, there's some angels that are showing up all over the place. And if you, you pop down to Luke chapter 1, starting with verse number 28, the angel went to her, that is to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You've you can maybe recall back in the Old Testament, there are times that, that you hear those words and that scares the, the snot of, out of people when they hear that they're highly favored. What does that mean, right? Sometimes maybe that scares us. God wants us to do something. Hey, I got a plan for you. Um, you're highly favored. Ooh. And, but, but look at what it says, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled, you think, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angels answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Oh, check this out. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary is invited into this grand adventure of God, not just to come and to watch from afar, but come and see what God is going to do through you. Mary is invited into this story, uh, risking her reputation, risking her relationships. And I, I love that. Don't you just love Mary's response here? I am the Lord's servant, she says. Yeah, I'm in. Whatever God asks of me, I'm in. Mary and Joseph were invited into this, in, in, into chaos. They were invited into this, into some of these very difficult places, experiencing the thrill of hope. And for them, it, it first meant walking through years of uncertainty. Years, think about that. Walking through years of uncertainty, walking through years of whispered comments by people in that village. Yeah, Mary and Joseph, yeah, I remember back. Years of risk, think about that. And yet anticipation that what they saw and what they heard was real, and therefore it changed everything. Well, there was another group, the shepherds. 
Luke chapter 2, if you want to just another page over, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, another group that was invited in. Listen to their story a little bit here. There were shepherds, it says in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse number 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then you have these choirs. You have these angels are singing. And then you jump down to verse number 16, and it says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who, were lying, who was lying in the ba- manger, And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I mean, shepherds, more ordinary people, called into this extraordinary adventure, invited to come and to see Jesus. They came and they saw Jesus and their response was to to run out and to tell everybody that they could find and to to glorify and to, to bring praise to God. And meanwhile, Mary, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of animals and angels singing and snowy shepherds and coming into the place where, that she, where she just gave birth, Mary thinks on what she has experienced and on what God has done in her life, and she reflects on that, on the child that she holds. She has been invited to see Jesus. She saw something that night that she, she just kept so close to her heart for her entire life. Oh, come let us adore Him, this baby in a feeding trough for animals, God in human flesh, the, the creator in the skin of his own creation, does, not, does that not just leave you with a sense of wonder? Does that not just leave us awestruck and, and dumbfounded that God the Almighty comes in the form of a baby? Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us see him for who he really is. These people, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, did not respond to an invitation just because it happened to show up. They realized that God was doing something, and they wanted to be a part of it. And here's really what I think. When we see Jesus for who he really is, when we really see Jesus, we can't help We can't not worship him when we really see Jesus. When we see Jesus for who he really is, it leaves us awestruck with this sense of wonder. See, it's all about worship, isn't it? I mean, worship helps us to see Christ more fully. And when we see Christ more fully, it leads to more worship. The more God is worshipped, the more he is seen. And the more he is seen, the more we are called to worship Come, let us adore him. When we see who he really is, we have to just worship. We have to adore him. We have to 
come into his presence and see who he is and worship him for who he is fully God and fully man. See, we started when we started today looking at the chaos and all of the insanity that the people were invited to and, 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 and we've shown maybe how that led to, to worship. But I just want to close maybe with just a few observations. And the, but the first one I would make is this. Worship leads us to action. Worship leads us to action. When we see Christ for who he really is, it should, it should change everything about us. Think, I mean, think for a moment about the characters who were, who were on, uh, on the invite list that original Christmas Day. Think about Joseph. Adoration for him meant moving him to the place of action. It wasn't just about having a certain mindset or having a certain feeling. It moved him to make choices that he wouldn't normally make. And I think that we can all agree that Christmas can sometimes be chaotic that there's some insanity this time of this year. I mean, there was, there's all that shopping, there's all that baking. Not all these things are bad, but I mean, it just gets to be crazy. There's shopping, there's baking, there's planning, there's the hustle and the bustle, there's all the, 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 the emotions and everything else that all goes into it. And, and sometimes there's even tensions in our family. And the question is for us, I think, how do we respond to that? See, Joseph, when he saw Jesus for who he was, he decided to put someone else's higher good above his own. Think about that. How do we do that? How do we love our families and how do we love our friends? How do we act in a way that goes against what our normal desires, our normal comforts, our normal choices would be? How do we love people in the midst of chaos and insanity and uncertainty? I think worship is something that we just experience at a, that worship isn't something that we just experience here on Sunday morning for 20 minutes. Worship is the way we live. It's the way that we adore Christ. Uh, and adoring Christ means living like him. Adoring Christ means responding to the invitation that he, he gives to us to come and see who he is and then change the way that we walk because of it. The second observation I would make is this, that worship leads us to reflection. We reflect on what Jesus has done. That's really how Mary responded on that first Christmas night in the midst of chaos, in the midst of craziness and insanity. But did you hear it when it went by? Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the midst of all that chaos and insanity, she reflected on what God had done. Well, part of me thinks that the chaos and insanity is just part of the reality we live in. I mean, it's just become the norm. But the question is more than just, can we find peace in the midst of that? I think it's deeper than that. The real question is what kind of peace are we bringing into the circumstances in which we live? I think it's about finding moments in the midst of insanity, in the midst of chaos, to reflect on what Jesus has done in our lives and to celebrate that and to reflect on who he really is and and celebrate him for it. To stop and to reflect on the goodness of God, to reflect on the sovereignty, on the faithfulness of God in my life, to, to give him praise, to worship him 
for who he is and what he has done for me. To just pause and make sure I give him thanks for those things. So, worship leads to reflection. Worship leads to action. Then there's this final observation. Worship leads us to proclamation. Someone once said that worship is bragging about God to God and that evangelism is bragging about God to others. <laughs> the shepherds did both of that on that night, didn't they? Adoration for them, seeing Jesus for who he really was, uh, led them to worship God, to brag about God to God, and then also to brag about God to others. They went out, they told everyone they could find. So you, I guess the question for us comes, who do you need to talk about or talk to about the goodness of God in your life? Some invitations we get in the mail. And those invitations invite us to events, they invite us to weddings, they invite us to parties, they invite us to birthdays. But there are other kinds of invitations that invite us into deeper relationships, that invite us to life-changing events. And that is exactly what Christmas does. It invites us first to the cradle just to see Jesus for who he really is, that mystery of the incarnation Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. And then we're invited to the cross because the cross helps us to better understand what happened in the cradle. His very purpose for coming was to take our place on the cross. And so the invitation is to come, to come and adore him, to come and be though all, all ye faithful and adore Christ the Lord. <coughs> Let's pray for a moment here. Father, I want to thank you for the words of Scripture where we read about your invitation to come and, Father, your promise of redemption for those of us who would receive it. And it's in your word that we find announced that a king was coming, that this Jesus, fully God and, and fully man. And we ask that you would draw us to him through your Holy Spirit, Father, this morning, because you are so worthy, because you are so holy, and you are awesome, and you are good, and you are faithful, and you are sovereign. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help us to worship you more so that we can see you more. In Jesus' name we pray.